Boys friends, welcome back to probably the most goddamn exciting month in the history of podcasts. Uh, here at the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, who is to be held the most on high for the entire month. Joined as always by my Fuck. friend, co-host, and kneeler beforeth me. I regret this immediately, Alex Dandino. Welcome to the month of my birth. The stars aligned. The nether region to the void was ripped asunder. And out came me. Your old friend, Griff. So that's what we're doing Thanks, here. But before, yeah, before Alex can grovel and kneel at the altar of me, a little bit of business, guys. Jesus it's God. official. We're on Patreon. If you also want to give a gift to me, which of course you do, and also Alex. Alex is also a part of the gift. It's a two for one. Uh, go over to <laughs> patreon.com slash pod. It's the absolute best way to help the show. It's the absolute best way to make sure the show is exactly what you want. Guys, every month you get access to voting on the movies that you want to hear us talk about in a Patreon-exclusive library. As you climb the system, sometimes you even get to pick the very movies that you want us to discuss. We have a great community we're building over there, so it's for as little as a dollar a month, and we assure you even a dollar a month is so appreciated. You can get in, meet the community, see what we're working on. we got lots of cool stuff we're doing over there. Uh, some new series that should be rolling out soon. Our Tales from the Crypt series was a little hijacked by uh, our old nemesis COVID-19. Uh, so hopefully we'll be back on track soon, as long as everyone is happy and healthy, all that good shit. Um, but yeah, patreon.com slash pod. Join Alex in exalting me. No, no. Oh, we're back on this. Okay. All right. Go to YouTube. So you can see my face. You can get like stills of my face, make little altars with those cool sex candles. Actually, uh, you can't because all of the uh, stills we have are <laughs> plastered. How dare you? They're all film Alchemist <laughs> pod or Film Alchemist. That's it. Uh, the YouTube channel so you can make your sex candle altar. Uh, make sure you email me, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. If you like to write long, gushing emails full of sweet nothings and tributes, uh, find us on all the social media. You can do the same thing there, right? Send us for the whole world to see. That's cool, too. Uh, make sure you leave us a rating and review. That's the simplest, easiest gift you can give the show. Quick five-star, couple sentences while you like the show. <laughs> all right. Alex, slide up a pillow. I don't want your knees to hurt. Wash upon you. me. Wash upon me, Alex. Uh, no, I love you. It's your birthday month. This is so exciting. Thank you. Uh, Griff. I, I do think this is scary to make a precedent. <laughs> Two actually, months of the year. I actually don't. This is actually on par with the entertainment I have during October. I'll be honest. This is. Oh, no. What's fun about this is for, for once, like we get to. It's not necessarily a surprise because we record all these in advance. But this month, the pod gifts Griff. You know what I mean? Like, that's I a really like important that. thing. And Maybe the pod kneels before Griff. No, Maybe the we pod can work gifts, on that. We're not kneeling. We're we're good. All right, we've got a month to workshop and whiteboard this. That's fine. <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly written out. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> this month is all about our friend, our loved one, Joshua Young Griffey. His middle Thank name's you. not Thank Young, you. but I just wanted to say Young. Um, to, to let Nor am I young, young, so this is double. <laughs> yeah. Griffey listens to a lot of uh, what was that band who said who sang the Young song? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, fun. Yeah, I know them. There it is. Sure. There it is. Yep, I knew it. See, I'm very hip. I'm very with it. It's a very popular song. Uh, me too. Um, I fucking love those guys. <laughs> so 
I have concocted a curation uh, the, of, of just gifts for you um, from some of our friends of the pod. Some of our friends that don't necessarily listen to the pod but live with us even have curated some movies for you this month. Um, oh, my. I'm actually – this is fun. <laughs> you don't – so other than the one that we've watched, you don't know the other ones yet. So I'm actually going to uh, – yeah. When we're about to record, you say, hey, this is the movie you have to watch. This is your first gift. That's all I know so far. Right. Yes. So the movie we're talking about tonight, obviously, Adrian Lin's uh, Jacob's Ladder, which is Griffey's first gift from uh, actually a co-gift from me and uh, our friend Carmelita Valdez McCoy. Just a delightful gift. You guys really know me well. I do. I fucking love Jacob's Ladder. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to talk to you about this movie because I actually had never watched this movie before. I'm really. I think I have seen like clips out of context when I was younger, like because it's just one of those movies that pops up on TV sometimes, and then like I mashed. It's one of those things. I the loved, weirdest like random stumble upon. When movie. I was young, <laughs> I loved just watching AMC and TCM. So I've seen a lot of pieces of movies that I would have never watched otherwise, and this is definitely one of them. So. Uh, it was fun to revisit this and check it out. Second movie is actually from your wife. Uh, oh, you're telling me all four right I'm now. Tell this you all is four. super we're, fucking exciting. Yeah, we're okay. gonna we're gonna set up the month here because you got to right. know uh, the second one's from actually your wife, Amy. Uh, we're watching uh, Orange County. <laughs> so the other day in the car, she's like, "You know what movie I picked?" And I was like, "Highlander, of course." Oop. And she's like, eh. "And I was like, oh, it's a gift for you movie.' Okay, so now I see." <laughs> This is actually one of our, like, first dates. This is, like, a very important seminal, like, we knew that we had, oh, like, this is similar good. I didn't interests. know that. Okay. that. That makes that. Makes that this this, was, this was a big, like, Hallmark movie for us. We loved that movie. So okay. that's very cool. Perfect. Um, the next one is actually a movie that um, you and I were always going to talk about. You always say, hey, let's watch this. Let's do it for the pod. Um, it, it's actually a more recent one. Werewolves Within. Which is one that you yeah. and I. Yeah. Love that movie. Great choice. And finally, uh, a weird one that I we talked about recently um, in connection to a movie that uh, I had never wanted to watch, but uh, Dogville. We're going to talk about Dogville. Hey! All right. What a month. <laughs> you know what I should do is throw out... I should throw out the double feature for our dear patrons and just get another gift for me. I like this. I finally hit the jackpot with the five... Uh, five what a June. Weeks. What a June. What a June. So this is a great list. I love these. I'm glad. Uh, fuck yeah. But tonight, <laughs> we begin. So, okay. So I'm kind of excited that you'd never seen this, right? Because I found this movie, I feel like, at the perfect age. Although re-watching it, I realized my youth was super working against me. And I wasn't <laughs> really comprehending a lot of what was going on. Right. So I found it at a young age, right? Where you're just like, sweet mm -hmm. drug movie. Right? You're like, drugs, partying, scary monster shit, right? That's how I watched it young. Of course. Also, I found this, like, right at that about-to-start-college age. And for those of you uh, who are my age, right, our senior year of high school was 9-11. And so there's a lot of these big, scary things happening in the world. We had this whole kind of false flag operation, right, trying to do the WMD shit. It was one of the first times in my young life that you realized there was bigger, nefarious elements at play that even our own government and trusted institutions would lie to your face just blatantly like that right um and you know this movie obviously dealing with vietnam which was that generation's kind of same version 
So I saw this at an age where, yeah, you're very conspiratorial, right? You're getting to college, so everyone's more open to new ideas. Right. You're personally just experimenting with everything. Right. A lot, of, po- lot so, of politics when you're young. Yeah, right. We used to talk politics and shit. I didn't know anything yeah. about pop. But you're just like, let's get stoned and like pretend we're in college, right? Let's do what we do and like college of ideas, right? Just stupid shit. So I saw this movie at that age where I was beginning to see that my own reality, right? This you know, small town Midwestern kid. I had it all figured out. You're like, oh, fuck. There's like a whole other deal going on that I had no idea existed. And I've just been living amongst that unaware. So this movie hit me at a perfect time. And although I don't think I appreciated some of the more adult themes that really work for me at this age, right? Especially, I totally fucking forgot. I've been throwing a lot of um, dead children movies at us lately. And it's... Not on purpose, I fucking swear a lot to God. Of dead kids in this last run, a lot of. It's like kids. a lot, and I hate it. You're putting a and lot I on forgot, the scoreboard here. I gotta tell you, I forgot completely about this whole subplot of the movie. That, but that kind of stuff for me today. This movie, as much as I loved it back then, I told you this would be our get home from the bar really late, and we're just like finishing off whatever booze would be in our apartment. We're eating like you know thirty dollars of Taco Bell you bought with laundry quarters. Right. And you're like, let's watch Jacob's Ladder, man. Just smoking joints and just like, yeah, man, we fucking get it. Yeah. This was a very different experience. So Alex, as a first timer, uh, what did you make of Jacob's Ladder? Um, it's weird because I had just I watched that um Deep Water movie. Deep Water. With, uh... Okay. The fact that I had to go back and relook at Adrian Lynn's uh yeah. credits. Like he's got he's awesome. I mean, I, a lot crap. of movies I love, but like the fact that this movie exists in that list is so strange to me. It's so strange. It's, <laughs> it is. And I think that's what's interesting because, like, you think about like his oeuvre really is not this, like, at all. No, it's kind of erotic thriller, like, right? Is, a lot yeah, of Yeah, like he does erotic thrillers. Like he did The Crying Game and then, um, you know, obviously most recently Deep Water. Um, but like, this was a very different movie. Yeah, like, as an adult, I imagine watching this when you're young and seeing this at that age. Like, if I had seen this and really sat down and watched it when I was super young. Not super young, but, like, high school age, like, probably right, like, pre-film school. Yeah, that's what have rocked me in a way that I would have been like, whoa, like, that is fucking trippy as hell, man. Today, it was a very interesting experience. Like, yeah, I'm a dad, and that hit a lot different than I thought it would. Um, I haven't seen young Tim Robbins in a long time. I don't know why, but I just don't watch like young Tim Robbins movies. Like the last one we watched was Arlington road and you know, he's like middle-aged, like young, young Tim Robbins, uh, really went, really was going for broke here. Like he was, yeah, it's really, this was 1990. So before his really big stuff, I think this is even before bull Durham, which was the first movie I remember loving. I think this is for, is it before bull Durham? I think it is. I thought bull Durham was like 93. Neither another movie we need to discuss for sure. Like this, like, you know, this is like before Hudsucker proxy. Like there's a lot, but the performance is really, and then like a lot of the macabre imagery is really fascinating. And like, what I like is that it's really interestingly not beating anything over the head. Like it's very mm. oddly subtle for like scenes where they're very intense. Uh, it's still very subtle. It's really interesting. I, I um, And then like, I also realize this is the blueprint for so many. Uh, yeah. How many, like, I mean, betw- like, you know, we both went to film school. Like how many short films were like, did you see Jacob's ladder? 
I'm making a fucking short film just like that. Yeah. This movie, I feel like, is kind of like the Spark or Sparks, right? Yeah. The band. Yeah. Where it's like a lot of people have been influenced by this movie and probably don't even fucking know it because it just got in the bay. You know what it reminded right? me of? And I thought about this today, um, right before we did the show, was um, that Black Mirror episode with Wyatt Russell. That was, I was yeah. like, oh, like that's where this starts. Okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Black Mirror also might be coming to our Patreon soon. There's a new Ooh, season announced. So maybe, maybe you should join up. Uh, Patreon.com slash Phil Malcolm is <laughs> give me gifts. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is funny though, because we were talking about Adrian Lynn's like erotic thriller fucking filmography. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I was watching this movie. I was like, I don't know if there's a movie I've ever seen where every person looks as just grotesquely unfuckable as this yeah. movie. Like, like everyone in this movie is so pale and so sweaty and so shaggy. Like, even Ving Rhames, right? Like, by the end of the movie, when you're doing, like, funeral Ving Rhames, I'm like, how do you take the fucking sex magnetism from Ving Rhames, even? Well, like, <laughs> you think about, okay, Flashdance, nine and a half weeks, Fatal Attraction, which fucking we talked fatal about. Fucking Fatal Attraction, Indecent God, Proposal. Yeah. Like, these movies are highly erotic movies. And this is what our parents watched so that they could try to go one more round and stave off divorce. Right. These, these were the movies they watched. And we're choosing, and then smack dab and let's see like that is smack dab in the middle too like he made jacob's ladder right after fatal attraction and then right after that he made indecent proposal and lolita like that's what this guy does that's not jacob's ladder does. so to watch it in that context is really fascinating yeah well i think to your point about the imagery right because this was such a different experience for me because i remember this movie as this Almost Lovecraftian horror movie, right? Oh, totally. totally. So from my childhood, this was a movie of... Because H.P. Lovecraft is famous for it, besides being like a horrible... A huge racist, racist, yes. He he <laughs> is famous for... He kind of had this great concept of the seeker, right? The, the outsider seeker goes to a place and somehow pierces the veil, right? He sees... This other world, right? He he was kind of the the genesis of this cosmic horror, right? Right. Um, Lovecraft got a lot of miles out of doing the an unimaginable shape, right? Like that kind of shit, where it was our imagination, right? Just these blobs of flesh and tentacle, whatever. So when I was thinking back and getting, I was like, oh, we're gonna rewatch Jacob's Ladder. I'm like, I remember the tail scene, right? You remember some of this stuff? I was stunned watching it this time how little of that imagery actually exists in the movie. Yeah. I had written this off as like, you know, all right, start of the movie, Nam, entire last like hour and a half is just wild ass hallucinations. And that is not the movie that we're watching no, at all. It's, but I think it's that point though, that it's, it's used to a perfect effect, right? To your point, it's not banging you over the head when it hits, it's fucking scary and it gets in there. But, that's not really the the meat of the film. No, I mean, really what it is is a psychological, it's like a psychological thriller with these like really specific horror elements that don't overwhelm the story at all. Like it's really about, it's really about like this journey of acceptance almost, but not really. I don't know. We'll get into that, but it's a very fascinating, uh, it's a very fascinating movie. Like there's just so many, especially 
I've watched, I watched it twice. Cause I was like, I, now I have to go back and rewatch it to like, and there is a lot of like really specific moments. I'm like, Oh wow. They like drop, they like drop the hint like immediately right here. Like there's a lot of these little beats that make more sense. Mm-hmm. And when you watch it a second time, but uh, it was, again, it's just a really fascinating movie and not at all what I think many people would assume because it would get lumped in with that sort of horror genre. And I think, like, it's like this. I think, personally, this and um, people would confuse this a lot of the time with, uh, oh, shit, we watched it for the pod, too, for uh, October. Well, uh, with Bill Pullman. Why can't I remember the name right now? Frailty? No, 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 with Bill Pullman, not... Uh, Bill Pullman. Either way, doesn't matter. Um, regardless, the movie, I think... <laughs> The movie that I think people expect is very different than what they get. And I, I loved that. Like, I expected to strap in for something very different than what I ended up with. And, like, again, there's a lot of threads to pull out. It's very interesting. Serpent in the Rainbow. That's what you That's what about. it is. Serpent in the Rainbow and Jacob's yeah. Ladder, for some reason, very always, similar vibes. Always yeah. meld together in my mind. And I don't know if that happens to anybody else, but. Well, I think, like, feels. that one, this altered states, right? These great explorations of. Because this is one of the things I like. This is one of the things that's really fun and playful in this movie, right? I, I've recently been rereading this book, uh, "God Is Not Great," right? The Christopher Hutchins book. Oh, great! And one of the one of the things, not to offend anyone, right? But it's just interesting <laughs> in light of the way our world is going to kind of give it a reread. But anyways, one of the the kind of thesis of that book, right, and the idea of religions in general is how it's so fucking scary to think that we have no like groundwork, right? That we don't know anything. We're so insignificant. None of this might matter at all. So religion is this great stopgap, right? That comes in and someone knows what's going on. So everything's all cool, right? right? But what that leads to is these people that I think one that one of the things Hutchins said that's really interesting, right? Is like, imagine if you knew someone like you had the secret to eternal happiness, like, someone came down like, hey, man, here's the fucking secret. You're all good, right? right? Everything's fucking cool. Wouldn't you imagine those people are happier and having more fun, right? And not just, like, <laughs> miserable cunts. And I was like, that's a really good way to look at it. And this movie plays with that, you know, whether it's the military or being a father or a partner, that that complete loss of control that we feel really early in the film, right? It happens almost within the first five to 10 minutes, right? We're in Vietnam. We know that Tim Robbins got hit by a bullet or something, right? Yeah. As he falls back, boom, he's in bed with his girlfriend, right? And so immediately the movie is telling us that you will never have your foot in reality. And the debate that we'll, we'll eventually like get to by the end of the movie is what do we think the chronology of this is? What do we think happened? Right. right. And I, I think that, that there are so few movies that actually take us out of a shared and established reality that I think some of that is also why I remembered it being so terrifying. And honestly, it's not less terrifying now because there's not as much monsters because you add in the ghastly visage of your fucking child. And that does plenty to fucking scare me now. But I think that, Maybe this is probably like second best to Highlander of just time jumping cuts of all time. <laughs> like the time jumping edits in this movie are fucking amazing. They work really well. I think, I mean, 
for a movie that is made in 1990, like between that and then all the in-camera special effects, which like none of it's, you know, again, this is 90s. So not in 1990, no CGI. It's really fascinating to watch those kinds of things. But yeah, thematically, the time jumps work for me. Like I love the little, I just, I love the little subtle grotesqueries though that happen. Like when he's on the sub, when he wakes up on the subway and he's about to walk off and just sees like the tentacle, I'm like, whoa, that is fucking weird, man. And then it's never addressed until like halfway through the movie. And I'm like, but then it's not really addressed. You're just like a thing. What it is is like, that moment is, and that's at the beginning of the movie, but that moment alone is one of those things where I'm like, okay, we have absolutely no idea what's real and what's not. Like, we're just going on this fucking journey with this guy, period. Like, there's yeah, no Yeah, and they're, they're not even dissimilar moments, right? Like, one of the most jarring ones is when Tim Robbins come home and the girlfriend's like, man, you look like shit. And he goes, thanks. And he gets in the shower and she's like, all right, let's fuck in the shower. Yeah. And immediately the hard cut from like, I'm like, she, he's just falling back on the jungle floor going, help me. And I was like, is this like a Gatorade commercial? Like he fucks so hard he needs electrolytes or. No, it's a Mentos uh, thing. Is know? this just like uh, the jungle's also wet? Like I have no idea. Because that was that was one of the earlier ones where you're like, oh, this isn't just like a, a movement cut, right? Like this is really jarring you from happy to the saddest you've ever been. Um, And I think that jump, that jumping back and forth, the, the scene that actually this time was really haunting me is when they kept cutting back to that shot, right? It reminded me of that famous Twilight Zone episode, right? Occurrence at Owl Creek, I think is what it was called, where I th- believe it's about a prisoner who's getting hanged and he tries to escape, right? Yeah, and there's a shot, if a, I remember right. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're right. It's based on, I believe, an Ambrose Beer story, which is interesting because that's uh, something that inspired Adrian Lynn for this movie. Yeah, and so... There's a scene, if I remember right, where we don't know if the guy's alive or dead, right? He was going to get hanged. He's trying to escape. And there's like this floating down the river shot looking up at foliage. That shot exists in this movie, right? Where we're kind of walking through this tree line. It doesn't look like jungle, but it's a tree line, right? And it seems like we hear the muttering of soldiers trying to say presumably Tim Robbins, right? And the way they keep dropping that one in at these really interesting moments, right? That really fucked with me. So I guess we'll just do this up front, right? The ending of the movie is a gigantic fucking question mark, right? Okay. I Well, I think, right? I guess this will be the argument, right? Because I would imagine most people go, oh, he was dead the whole time. He's dreaming. Spoilers. Uh, I, don't, I don't even say spoilers. It's my birthday, and this movie's old as fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, so at the, the last scene of the movie is he's smiling dead in Nam, right? I find that hard to accept that that's actually where this movie ends, right? That this is a movie about a soldier who gets shot in Nam and is going back through this haunted house version of his life, right? Because that doesn't explain away the girlfriend. That doesn't explain away the the scientist who tells him about uh, the ladder, right? The, the ladder drug and all this. Do you think that he actually died in Nam or is that, did he die in New York from his psychosis and all that kind of stuff. And this was his last moment, right? Kind of maybe admitting to us both are true, right? That he did the Jacob singer. He was died in Nam, but do you think his physical body died in Nam or no? I think his, I think what we're watching is, I mean, for me, what it is is yeah. Like it's the blink of an eye. 
Like that's what the movie is. Like a two this two hour movie takes place in the two minutes they're trying to save him. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of clues to that for me. Like when he goes to see Lewis, Lewis being backlit so brightly, you're like oh, this I is so fucking obvious. Lewis in this movie, man. Danny Unsung MVP. He's so fucking good and when he He's busts so him out of that hospital, I mean that scene is just money. I I'll wrap this around your neck. You guys are very upset. <laughs> and yeah, he's just like a chiropractor. No, I. Uh, he's like, yeah, you're like a cherub. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's all this like really specific stuff that gets dropped for particularly right. Lewis. But I mean, um, there's like bright light effects that I'm like, this is interesting because like, like, like this is actually what I thought about the most was I thought about a lot was the episode, the like the few the like there's like a three arc three episode arc, the uh, season, the Sopranos when Tony gets shot and yeah. he's in a coma, like all those little visual clues we have in that show, particularly like they use like Jacob's Ladder does the same stuff. Like there's all these little visual clues like when he's at that party where he starts seeing like this, like all the tentacles and shit and everyone's like turning into monsters and like all these flashes of light are literally them checking his like pupils to see if they've dilated and so on and so forth. It's all that one has a great one at the end where it's like the party goers are over him, like the soldiers and that's, but but he's also, but to me, okay. He does. Yes. Like to me, this is absolutely where he dies. Like I, like for me, all of it makes sense because this is the weird part though, because that just means that, so Jacob's hell is having had to move in with his coworker that he's definitely see... thought about fucking. But see, I don't think it's hell at all. Okay, so well, so we'll clarify this too, right? Danny Aiello talks about this philosopher who had this idea, right? That the only thing that burns in hell, I've got a paraphrasing, right? It's, is the part of you that won't let go of life, right? right? They're not punishing you, they're freeing your soul. If you've made your peace, the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. Right. I think that's a really cool idea. Obviously, Jacob's Ladder is a biblical, you know, image of a stairway to heaven. Right? right. All that shit. Fine. I think that's a little sloppy, man. I actually think he makes it back to New York and dies in New York. I'll tell you why I don't. I, I'll tell you why I don't like that, to be honest with you. Okay. Is because. It's because Jacob when he wakes up in New York after the Vietnam scene is a postman. Now I don't live in New York. I've never lived in New York. I've visited New York. It is a weird thing to me to see a postman driving around New York. Like it's just not a thing you see. I'm used to seeing them walk and so on and so forth. For me, <laughs> you, so his hell is that he gets a special whip to ride right around. No, that's not what I'm getting at. But for me, <laughs> What we do also never see is Jacob actually delivering mail. We see him going to the office and not working and office. having a red flag relationship with a coworker. Yes, we see him going to the office, having an HR problem relationship with a coworker. We never see him actually delivering mail, though, which to me, like, come on. I thought a little bit. I thought about this. Like, to me, like, that is the job of a postman. He's always like he's either always like taking a double shift. We never see him actually. Oh, I'm gonna make like overtime. Someone is always calling out sick. Like what it is is po- like a postman's job. Like is never done. He's always having to do these things. That is his spirit hanging on. 
it's this job, this horrible working man job, but that he like doesn't really enjoy. He's simply doing it as a wait station till whatever. He's doing it to get rid of, he's doing it to avoid having to actually deal with what uh, we got to talk more about the son and the like the wife and that stuff because I don't that's the part yeah. I'm like is that is that part real that seems odd that's the part so, that I couldn't <laughs> synthesize whether it was real or not I actually. I think he was a postman because again I could not for the life of me stretch my mind out to where there would be any form of postal symbolism in this fucking journey right the one time when he passes out in the cab and they're you know welcome back Dr. Singer and he goes to his old life he walks into that house comfortable as fuck, right? That feels like the life he had. That perhaps he was a doctor, he had this family, it went fucking south, right? There's even a scene somewhere in this vicinity of the film. Uh, oh, and he's down in the fucking the hospital, right? And mm -hmm. he passes out, and he sees his wife, right? And they're in bed, and he's like, oh, I fucked that girl down at the office. Yeah. And I was like, but we saw her at the post office, but maybe she was like a secretary at his work, whatever, right? She worked with a nurse, whatever. He wakes up and he's back in the hospital, but his wife and the two kids come in and they're just like, you know, we heard what happened. I so love you. There's a voice from off camera that says dream on. So to me, that cannot be the base reality that is Jacob's last touchstone to me. You right. Mean the family or the, I his... don't think the family. My theory of the movie is that when his son died, he was so fucking broken Right. You, you I remember even Broadchurch brought this up. Right. When parents lose a kid, you know, 80 plus percent of them divorce because they can't fucking stand it. You look at your partner and you'll see parts of your child or, you know, you guys can't help but blame each other. And, you know, it's so unfair. It's right, just right. fucking horrible. I can't even fucking fathom. Right. No. So he does that. He leaves. He goes to Vietnam. Right. Like, you know, I'll do this instead. Hope probably hoping to die. Right. Like probably hoping that his pain and suffering will come to an end. Um, so I think the choice of suicide, you know, it's it's very flippantly shown in movies a lot. That's a big fucking choice, right? right. Um, so this guy's just going to put himself in danger. I think he does come back for, from Nam and is just fucking rebooting, right? Because to me, if this is just him imagining, right, besides not being able to place why the fuck he's a postal worker, those little moments of his ex-wife sends him the envelope of pictures... Worker. Well, I mean, you could say that's like my dad talking about, like, you ever see road crews? Why are they always leaning on shovels, right? Like, I don't see no, them that's, that's always not, working, that's but I see roads. That, that is not what I'm getting at when I say <laughs> that. Like, that part, of, like, it's not a matter of laziness. What I'm saying is there's always an excuse. Like, there's all, he's always having to go in and sub for someone. Like, he even says, he's like, this guy's sick. He's always sick. Like, there's something about that to me that rang true of, like, that is someone who's working a job that keeps them working, keeps their mind off what really is happening to them and so on and yeah, so forth. But, so, so walk me through what you think's happened. One, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, right, is when um, he, his old army buddy finds him, right, and they meet at the bar. Right. That moment of catharsis when I – don't, I don't remember his name. The actor has, like, the fucking it's shifty Pruitt eyes. Right? Taylor Vince. Yes, wonderful character actor, right? You guys know I don't fucking know names. I'm not going to snap it up because it's my birthday That's celebration. That's why I'm here. It's your birthday. I'm it's here to pick up the slack. You know birthday. everyone's names, and I know none of them. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're at that bar, right, that moment of catharsis when he's, you know, like, they're coming for me everywhere. I can't rest. I feel fucking terrible, right? Um, And he goes, I see them, too. There's a wonderful beat 
where uh, Pruitt, whatever his name is, the fucking uh, military guy, all of that melts through him, right? That, oh, my God, it's not just me. Someone sees me. Someone believes me. And Tim Robbins needed that too, right? That moment, if it's just part of a fever dream, loses a lot of its impact to me, right? Like those moments with him and his fellow soldiers at the funeral, uh, you know, trying to get the lawyer, but then being scared off. Like, I, I understand what people will say, right? The whole, you know, men in black government operative shit is pretty, it feels surreal, right? I'll give you that, right? When he falls out of the car well, in front of Santa Claus and whatever. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go the as far other as saying stuff. surreal. Like surreal, I think is honestly like not the way, like what's interesting. Is well, it's him, weird that in this movie, that kind of stuff sticks out as like, yeah, I don't buy it. <laughs> but that's, I, I totally agree though. Like that actually is the part of the movie where I was like, this is the part that makes no sense is like in a movie like this, that's really about the metaphysical turning like all of a sudden like turning on a dime and it being like a government conspiracy seems very off like very like did we just like veer into another like genre for some reason like do we not but like yeah. it's purposeful though and i like that a lot is for me what jacob's ladder does is shifts so violently in that direction it's sort of the way like hereditary like takes you off your feet not nearly as effective but it's the same vibe which is like oh, wow, this is a completely different movie than I thought it was. Like, I'm stepping into something very right. different. But for it to do that and for it not to be the thing, that's the hard thing to wrap. That's the hard thing to grapple with is, like, mm -hmm. to not commit to the bit, essentially, is the more uncomfortable thing about, oh, it's a government conspiracy, black hats, these kinds of things. Like, right. that is a complicated thing to throw in, like, the back third of the movie. But that's also why, to me, the fever dream aspect, one, really doesn't, like, that part, like, his performance, like, him seeing his friends and those kinds of things, if you ascribe to the theory that he's literally, like, two minutes in the, like, he's in the middle of dying, it makes perfect sense to me. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily lessen the impact of that performance or, like, that confession of, like, I'm experiencing this, too, because... What he's trying to do is grapple with the fact – this is a guy who's trying to essentially grapple with the fact that he's dying. So for him to grasp to the people he knows and loves and has become close with makes total sense to me. But that only I, I agree in some if you go bit. with that. I, I agree when you talk about – like the scenes with his family feel very much ethereal, right? Like those feel oh, – totally. That's not a, a, a shared physicality, right? That right. is something, you know – metaphysical as you said the stuff with the soldiers and the girlfriend does not fit that bill when he's having his fever dream and they're pouring ice on him mm -hmm. that is not a scene with lewis black man, as the doctor <laughs> yeah that's not a scene that a man on his deathbed is conjuring right of him melting 50 pounds of ice right so to me that is a reality that had to exist somewhere now could you argue that that was his life before he went to vietnam right that Shit fell apart and he went there and then that came. Maybe, I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Is the, I, it gets a little sludgy at the end, but right? You For lack it, of a better you word. You said it best when like it happens at the party and then it happens when they're putting every, all the ice in the ice bath where people are hovering over him, which is. The party like, moment where she says you're already dead is, you know, that feels a little on, the nose, on the nose, right? Yeah. But like, 
the ice bath scene though is something that um that happened i mean you know amy's a nurse that happens in hospitals you have to cool people down with ice packs all the time right but i'm saying and i know he was a doctor right that's kind of the other argument i'm sure people would levy against me is that he's a doctor so inventing this medical malady that needs an emergency fix as he's dying seems pretty spot on so i guess you know i can see where people go that way i just it feels it doesn't feel authentic to me to accept that that is what he's conjuring up i would like to think that if i'm on my deathbed right the things i will be thinking about are my childhood my parents my siblings my wife my kids you know those kind of things right and traumas right, that but, come with those. I don't think I'll be inventing a government conspiracy of right, this, you know, mayhem drug. You're on your deathbed. You're on your death. Like if you're saying you're on your deathbed, not saying it's by choice, but you are in a comfortable place already. That of course is what you're going to think about. Like he is in the Mekong Delta. He has been shot. He's been stabbed. Like he is going through something that neither of us can fathom because a neither of us right. have died before, but also. The entire uh, life replays, you know, in the yeah, blink like of that's, an eye. It's a whole other thing. So, like, to me, the ethereal nature of what he's going through, that's what's so – that's the harder part about Jacob's Ladder, I think. And that's, like, the more – also the more interesting thing about what we're talking about, which is the subjective nature of death and the subjective nature of, like, what death does to you as it's occurring. Like mm-hmm. – your synapses are firing like everything is going through your brain like your endorphin rush is off the charts i have no idea what i would be thinking of but what i would definitely be doing is trying not to die i'll say that unless i'm like well like, i if i, I if i was also, in, if i was a vietnam veteran that that'd be my yeah i also think to tweak that a little bit is that you don't have it you are dying right sure. you, you're not trying not to die it's just a matter of time i think Again, the replaying, the thought that he's not actually a mailman and goes through some of that is probably like the one black eye on the movie to me. Because taking that away, I feel like really hurts a lot of the dramatic impact of some of the scenes, right? Like, there are obviously great scenes, right? When he goes to the hospital and he slipped and his back's all fucked up. I like that scene of this man who's really at his wits end and has no idea where to put his feet being laid out and can't move, right? Right. And then, you know, you get your scenes where they take, like, wow, there's a lot of fucking moisture in this sub-basement. That's very strange. Oh, God. Now they're, like, pushing through, you know, there's psycho ward, right? Or mental wards, whatever the proper phrasing. Yeah, psych ward. Whatever the proper phrasing is, right? Ladies breastfeeding a baby. You're like, that seems not right. Oh, there's dead limbs and blood everywhere, right? It's like Leatherface's masturbatorium. Ah, they're just pushing it everywhere. Um, his girlfriend being the nurse, right, could harken back to where he actually met her. Sure. Um, those scenes are obviously hellacious images, right? This is like a Dante's Inferno moment where he is walking through some layer of his hell, right, trying to release what is, right? That's the part of the film that I don't think settles with the end. Is If, if the idea is these shaking face faceless monsters right look like demons um and even in that hospital scene right there's a quadriplegic african-american faceless creature right right that could be one of his fellow soldiers in vietnam right that would make sense the thing is what is he releasing what is he holding on to about being that fucking shitty postman right 
Everything else in the movie makes perfect fucking sense, right? And when you build to this finale of him and his son holding hands, I can't remember the line. I was fucking weeping when it happened because I just don't remember. Um, and Tim Robbins just breaks down and cries, man. And his kid does that thing. That if, you've, if you've been a parent, you know that moment where you're just really fucking broken down. And no matter what, if your kid's been a dick or whatever, right? They just give you that little hug, right? And the way their little arms feel wrapped around you. It's just one of those great joys of life, right? Yes. And he just says, it's okay, let's go up. And they fucking walk up the stairs together, you know, fade to to white. He's dead and numb, right? That moment is really fucking beautiful. Again, that kind of stuff all tracks, right? It's the fucking postman stuff. I have to accept for me that the postman life is a real life. I have to know that. I I just don't think you I don't it it just I I don't I don't have to because quite frankly it makes it I'm not saying like I'm not saying that we don't have a choice in what we see before we die. Yeah. But in the context of Jacob's ladder, I'm not sure it necessarily is that I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case. Like, yeah. And to be fair, this is the fight I've had about this movie since first seeing sure. it. What it and is essentially to me, no one agrees with me that him being a postman matters. But to me, it's not even the fucking job. It's but I mean, to me, what it is, is about the weight. It's about the weight. That's what it is. Like people can be career postmen, I'm sure. But also my father in law, a lot of Sam's dad, a lot of our family. I mean, I'll say postmen. this, like what I don't. <laughs> Maybe that's why it matters to me. There's so you know what many else, though, is I'll say this. We this so this movie came out in 1990, which is still fairly like we're like you and I were not born of that era, but like our concept of the Vietnam War is so historical at this point. Like mine I is think, pretty much just movies, yeah. Yeah, like, mine is almost movies, entirely movies. It. Like I don't have family member, like my father wasn't drafted, like my like yeah. people who like my family wasn't drafted, like, for some reason. I think it was, like, the year that they stopped drafting people was the year that my father turned, like, 17 or 18 when he was available to be drafted. So, like, my parents don't have Vietnam War stories, that, those kinds of things. I I don't know. It's a really – but maybe there's something in that, which is you take the job that when you get home, like, that's the job that, mm-hmm. you know – doesn't require a lot of doesn't require a lot of effort require like you get paid enough it requires minimal effort it requires minimal brain power because you've seen some horrible horrible things yeah well also a lot i mean that's kind of the rambo thing right a lot of these guys came back and were treated as villains right they were just doing they signed up to you know fight for our country and the patriot and they come back completely disillusioned and broken right you know so I mean, but there, there's just interesting moments, right? Like when he sees the flashback of Gabe, right? Mm-hmm. We can imagine that's not something he saw firsthand, right? right? Or else you would be protecting your kid, it feels like. Sure. And they just have that hardest cut. One of the hardest cuts in movies when that fucking tire is just rolling over the bike, right? So you're like, there's some kind of, if not supernatural, that's him punishing himself with that image, right? Oh, yeah. When he sees his family saying goodbye and the kid's like, hang in there, dad, they're having a laugh, right? And there's that lower tone voice, uh, voice, dream on. Yeah. Who's saying that, right? Is that is he his own, I guess the movie posits he's his own devil, right? 
I mean, I think the movie posits that any of us would be saying stuff like that to ourselves. Like there's, there's a level of like, they point out like, yeah, he has this level of guilt because of what happened to Gabe. So him running from that kind of thing again, makes total sense to me that, yeah, like the running you would do when you're about to die would be like, Oh, I'm a guy living in an apartment in Brooklyn with a girl. And you know, that's like the that's the wait station before things start happening. It's, it's too grungy, man. It's too real. He lived that postal life. He fucking he lived did, that postal life. You. you think he made up that house party, that very specific house party as a fucking hellacious fever dream? It's too real. The old lady coming in and just fucking doing her Hail Marys while dumping I mean, fucking ice on his pecker. I mean, by that ra- by that rationale, couldn't you conceive that everything leading up to the ice bath is a fever dream? the scenes with his wife and his family, those feel very false, right? That postal life feels real as fuck. It actually is kind of a scary movie, right? Along the lines of our, it's a wonderful life theory. If hell is literally just the lives that we're all leading right now, that's brutal. That's a hard truth to accept. Is that, Oh, just like a a shitty job. And like, you know, (laughs) I mean, I mean, but that, that goes to, what you're talking about then is simulation theory. And there's a lot of other things like I'll say, if this is a simulation, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in the matrix. This is one of the pantheon. Your reality is not as you thought movies, right? So yeah, simulation theory, the matrix, all that kind of stuff plays in this same realm. Absolutely. But I think even movies like that, I think it, it's one of those things that I like to know, or at least in my mind, I do the the thought experiment for myself. I guess everyone draws their own line, right? I mean, you know, look, even he, the Matrix, right? There, there's this fan theory that Neo never actually got out, right? He's just simulating right. this video I mean, game. Total Recall is the same way, right? Where, where do you draw the lines? Man? I mean, ultimately, like the key to the movie is that Eckhart quote about what. Yes, that I is agree like, completely. That is essentially the movie. Like, again, it's weird to put it like. Louis is definitely not a real no, like Louis is not a real person. I like, agree completely. No one that isn't in Vietnam. So wait, let me give you this though. When he first meets Louis, he says he's recently seen his ex-wife and he goes a couple of clams, right? Like he doesn't talk to her. So does that mean his wife is also dead then? Is that are we to believe his wife is also dead or had a near death well, experience? That, and well, now you're getting into the now, now we're talking about the theory of like when you enter heaven, it's like you know, no, like time is not past. I can't remember what comedian it was, and he goes, "You know how I know there's no heaven because if I go up there and I saw you motherfuckers." <laughs> it's, I've always thought that was such a funny quote. Like, would you really want to see your neighbors when you went to heaven? Would you I mean, be like, that's, "But that's what stoked it, like, to do eternity with the, them." Come on. <laughs> the, theory, the metaphysical theory is that you know, no time will have passed when you have gone to heaven, so you'd see everyone that you love. Yeah. When I go to heaven, I want to be like a Lovecraftian, like orgy monster, right? Just fucking dicks and orcs sure everywhere. Like, ha- I mean, yeah, be free I've never been to heaven. I'm not sure that happens there. See, I think this is the other I'm thing. I'm not sure too, I'm getting like, in if there is one, but I'm hoping I, it's cooler than just like, thing too, is like us hanging we, out. Do we all agree that there is like, like heaven? <laughs> is, there's no like consolidated heaven. We all get our own or, you know. I mean, some of us, some of us will want our own. Is it heaven incorporated? See, this is the other thing too that kind of pisses me off. Is like heaven incorporated seems to be a real thing, but like hell is like really personable. I'm like, well, that's nice, you know. Well, (laughs) hell's more of a Taylor hell towards you. (laughs) 
So you're saying heaven is like a mall kiosk and, and hell is like that. We only sell candles that smell yeah, like fresh like, apple pie. Heaven's like being in the mall of America and apparently hell is the outlets. Like, you know. <laughs> We're very specific and punishment in bulk. No, this is the thing. If if I don't want to imagine that heaven is like a carnival cruise ship and I have to put up with you being like I'll tell you five right o'clock now. somewhere. Woo! I'll tell you right having now. Tra- if, if, like, heaven... if I went to country and heard one note of fucking country music, it would no longer be heaven. Like our, our heavens cannot be if heaven is a If heaven is a carnival cruise ship, I will assume I, I had gone to hell. Like, I did something now, terrible. I know that's the second Twilight. That's one of my favorite Twilight Zones, right? It's the gambler. Yep. And he's all of a sudden like he can't lose. He's getting everything comped on the house. He's getting pussy galore. Not the James Bond character. And all of a sudden he's just getting mad, right? Because gambling's not fun if there's no risk of losing. So all right. of a sudden he's like, ah, what the hell? He's like, this place, you know, I'm not having a good time. I thought this was heaven. And the manager's like, what makes you think you went to heaven? <laughs> and so his hell was just, what if you weren't a loser? What if you just got every fucking thing you wanted yeah. when you want it? And that's his hell. So uh, this is I think not... what we're trying to say here is that heaven seems a way better deal than hell. Or hell seems a way better deal than heaven. <laughs> what I'm saying is I appreciate the reality bending and skipping sure. of the film. Yeah. I, I think that the tone and atmosphere that this movie creates without us being able to set lines on what's real. Because I think movies like this, like that, that postal scene plays very down and in the gutters. Right. Yeah. And so that, that feels meatier to me. Right. But movies like this, that we don't know if this is really just all a guy dying. I mean, how do you really get oomph from that? I feel like it's one of those endings that most movies would pull and you'd be like, oh, Jesus, what a fucking waste of my time. This one, I don't feel that, right? Because even if it is just all a dream, right? The the idea that I do think there's kind of a beautiful idea in this movie, which is that when we meet our ends, right? Timely or untimely. Right. The idea to get to have that extra step. Mm-hmm to go back and sort some stuff out, I think is kind of lovely, right? Like whether we just go back into the, uh, the cosmic abyss and are made back into a sperm or an egg and fucking fired out of a, you know, t-shirt cannon dong or whatever. The lovely. idea that we lovely get time. I'm, I'm really kind of a You're poet, a real poet tonight, man. I gotta I'm, tell I'm you. a poet at heart, right? <laughs> but I'm saying the, the idea to get it, go back and, you know, do like the summary of what we've experienced and what mattered to us. And again, I think the movie's a little sloppy on that because I, I think the idea of the latter, right? The purge drug, maybe he just invents that because I'm sure soldiers were hearing crazy shit like that all the time. But again, I I think it's one of those things I've always wanted to be able to convince everyone that he really was a postal worker somewhere. I don't know that I've ever accomplished it, but yeah, that's it how I watch this me, movie. Man. I mean, I and appreciate to be honest, the I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. That's the does beautiful either, part. I'm not saying this is like, well, movie falls apart if he's not no, actually. I'm saying a that worker. the metaphor of him being a postal worker makes sense to me. The uh, him needing to be an actual postal worker makes no difference. It's not about him being a postal worker. It's about him being a fucked up soldier in New York. I think that sure. mattered to me. Right. I the stuff with him and the other soldiers. And watching this woman try to help him as she watches him deteriorate, I think that that has such heft to it. 
that I want to believe that that was a reality, right? I'm sure what the movie would say is who gets to decide what's reality. If you felt heft from it, it has heft, whether it was a, you know, Mia culpa or whatever, right? Yeah. That's not the right word. That's not what Mia culpa is. My bad. I have a Mia culpa for saying that that other thing was a Mia culpa. But yeah, you know what I mean? I lost that poet status real quick. Jeez. So anyways, about the dung that shoots sperm. (laughs) Okay. We're back. Up into the cheap seats. Yeah. <laughs> Were we not all once fired at the three dollar raffle night? No, I'm just kidding. I I just honestly I just I just unabashedly love this movie. I love that the performances. I love the style. It's, it's just a very uneasy movie. Um, but it it has this. It's just dripping with anticipation of something bad, and you really feel emotionally bonded to these guys right not even them just every character you want every character to get heaven and it feels like we don't see that at all right which is kind of a a cruel trick of the movie but i I just think it's such a every time i watch it i I don't maybe it's just uh the nature of the movie i feel like i get a chance to really sit and you know think about where i'm at and i you get to have really good conversations with people if you've both seen this movie I, i i appreciate that so much this is exactly the kind of movie that makes me love movies right is this one what was your final takeaway besides that of course he was a real life poster work i mean jacob's ladder is such a fascinating such a fascinating blueprint for so many movies like it like and just stories in general like yeah like that uh that black mirror episode the jacket like there's a bunch of movies that not have necessarily ripped off but like do this kind of vibe but nothing has done quite what I think Jacob Ladder Jacob Ladder accomplishes, which is not beating anybody over the head with what I think you could describe as horror horror elements. Mm-hmm. Like it's so firmly planted in the psychological thriller con- concept that it never it, it never strays from that. Like anytime we get into this horror vibe, like the party scene's probably the biggest, uh, probably my like probably my biggest like part. Like other than like. You know, Leatherface's masterpiece. The murder hotel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I'm. But I mean, like those beats are so. They're done so effectively. Actually, like, one of my favorite was uh, when uh, he's recovered from his fever and Elizabeth Pena's face changes. It scares the shit out of him. Yeah, that actually like rocked me. I was like, holy shit! Like that's yeah. the kind of stuff in this movie that really. It really ticks the box. For, it really checks the box for me. Like I, I, again, I'm I'm glad I finally saw this and didn't think it was a different movie. It was just a really yeah. good movie, and I'm glad that we got to do this for your birthday. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. So thank you, and thank and Carmelita, Carmelita for this awesome suggestion. Uh, I'm on. Uh, we have a list of these movies where it's like I can't believe we now officially in May have crossed. <laughs> Over 400 episodes, man. We have crossed the 400 episode threshold, which seems fucking absurd and insane. Um, And what is even more lovely about that, right? Despite all the work and hours and movies is the fact there's still these beloved movies that we just haven't gotten to yet, which blows my mind. And this has always been on that list for me. Um, So a great start to the pod grovels before Griffey month. Nope. The pod gifts Griff. The pod lathers up Griff's. Nope. <laughs> Herculean statuesque physique. Ugh. All right, moving on. The pod butters Griff's biscuit. 
One of those. We'll workshop it. You'll see it in the image. Not workshop. <laughs> Until then, guys, <laughs> go to patreon.com slash Pod to support the show and uh, get more awesome content from guys, us. Tell Help your friend, us make this show the what you want. Best birthday present. Bring some pals. Give us the best gift it's ever. The YouTube Phil Malcolm. It's only a buck, and we appreciate the buck. Uh, the YouTube Phil Malchemist, the email philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Leave those ratings and reviews wherever you find us. Uh, yeah, find us on all the socials. Share us. Tell your friends. And remember, get back for uh, the pod goes hog wild on Griffey succulents. What? Pasture of a body. Why is this about eating you? It's so weird. No, it's like doing cool stuff atop me. So what? You're like one of those sushi girls? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. The pod about... I feel sushi off grips and griff's nips. I couldn't imagine the Yelp reviews I would get if my body were a third food serving tray. I would imagine very, very unkind. Come for the sushi. Stay for the hog. Come for the sushi. Side of curly black hairs galore. Also sweat. Tons of sweat. Bring your own sauce. Uh, Neither here nor there for the film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dantino. I hope this is not reality. (laughs) Oh, man. That's perfect. (laughs) 